Fine Arts and Sciences. For Our Knowledge Box. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Our Knowledge Box by George Blackie. Fine Arts and Sciences. To transfer engravings to plaster casts. Cover the plate with ink, polish its surface in the usual way, then put a wall of paper round. Then pour on it some fine paste made with plaster of Paris. Jerk it to drive out the air bubbles, and let it stand one hour, when you have a fine impression. The new and beautiful art of transferring on to glass. Colored or plain engravings, photographs, lithographs, watercolors, oil colors, crayons, steel plates, newspaper cuts, mezzotinto, pencil, writing, show-cards, labels, or in fact anything. Directions. Take glass that is perfectly clear, window glass will answer, clean it thoroughly, then varnish it, taking care to have it perfectly smooth. Place it where it will be entirely free from dust. Let it stand overnight. Then take your engraving, lay it in clear water until it is wet through, say ten or fifteen minutes. Then lay it upon a newspaper, that the moisture may dry from the surface, and still keep the other side damp. Immediately varnish your glass the second time, then place your engraving on it, pressing it down firmly, so as to exclude every particle of air. Next rub the paper from the back, until it is of uniform thickness, so thin that you can see through it, then varnish it the third time, and let it dry. Materials used for the above art. Take two ounces balsam of fir, to one ounce of spirits of turpentine, apply with a camel's hair brush. To make wax flowers. The following articles will be required to commence wax work. Two pounds white wax, one-fourth pound hair wire, one bottle carmine, one ultramarine blue, one bottle chrome yellow, two bottles chrome green, number one, two bottles chrome green, number two, one bottle rose pink, one bottle royal purple, one bottle scarlet powder, one bottle balsam fir, two dozen sheets white wax. This will do to begin with. Now have a clean tin dish, and pour therein a quart or two of water. Then put in about one pound of the white wax, and let it boil. When cool enough, so the bubbles will not form on top, it is ready to sheet, which is done as follows. Take half of a window-pane, seven by nine, and after having washed it clean, dip into a dish containing weak soap-suds. Then dip into the wax and draw out steadily, and plunge it into the suds, when the sheet will readily come off. Lay it on a cloth or clean paper to dry. Proceed in like manner until you have enough of the white. Then add enough of the green powder to make a bright color, and heat and stir thoroughly until the color is evenly distributed. Then proceed as for sheeting white wax. The other colors are rubbed into the leaves after they are cut out, rubbing light or heavy according to shade. For patterns you can use any natural leaf, forming the creases in wax with the thumbnail or a needle. To put the flowers together or the leaves on to the stem, hold in one hand until warm enough to stick. If the sheeted wax is to be used in summer, put in a little balsam of fir to make it hard. If for winter, none will be required. You can make many flowers without a teacher. 
but one to assist, in the commencement, would be a great help, though the most particular thing about it is to get the wax sheeted. The materials I have suggested can be procured at any drug store, and will cost from three dollars to four dollars and fifty cents. How to charm those whom you meet and love. When you desire to make any one love you with whom you meet, although not personally acquainted with him, you can very readily reach him and make his acquaintance, if you observe the foregoing instructions, in addition to the following directions. Suppose you see him coming towards you in an unoccupied mood, or as recklessly or passively walking past you, all that remains for you to do at that moment is to concentrate your thought and send it into him as before explained. And to your astonishment, if he was passive, he will look at you, and now is your time to send a thrill to his heart, by looking him carelessly, though determinately, into his eyes, and praying with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that he may read your thought, and receive your true love, which God designs we should bear one another. This accomplished, and you need not and must not wait for a cold-hearted, fashionable, and popular Christian introduction. Neither should you hastily run into his arms, but continue operating in this psychological manner, not losing any convenient opportunity to meet him at an appropriate place, when an unembarrassed exchange of words will open the door to the one so magnetized. At this interview, unless prudence sanction it, do not shake hands, but let your manners and loving eyes speak with Christian charity and ease. Wherever or whenever you meet again, at the first opportunity grasp his hand, in an earnest, sincere, and affectionate manner, observing at the same time the following important directions, viz., as you take his bare hand in yours, press your thumb gently though firmly between the bones of the thumb and forefinger of his hand and at the very instant when you press thus on the blood-vessels, which you can before ascertain to pulsate, look him earnestly and lovingly, though not pertly or fiercely, into his eyes, and send all your hearts, minds, and souls' strength into his organization, and he will be your friend, and if you find him not to be congenial, you have him in your power, and by carefully guarding against evil influences, you can reform him to suit your own purified Christian and loving taste. Mesmerism. If you desire to mesmerize a person who has never been put into that state, nor in the least affected, the plan is to set him in an easy posture, and request him to be calm and resigned. Take him by both hands, or else by one hand, and place your other gently on his forehead. But with whatever part of his body you choose to come in contact, be sure to always touch two points, answering to the positive and negative forces. Having taken him by both hands, fix your eyes upon his, and, if possible, let him contentedly and steadily look you in the face. Remain in this position until his eyes close. Then place both your hands on his head, gently pass them to his shoulders, down the arms, and off at the ends of his fingers. Throw your hands outward as you return them to his head, and continue these passes till he can hear no voice but yours. He is then entirely in the mesmeric state. When a person is in the mesmeric state, whether put there by yourself or someone else, you can awake him by the upward passes, or else do it by an impression as follows. Tell him, I will count three, and at the same instant I say three, I will slap my hands together, and you will be wide awake and in your perfect senses. Are you ready? 
If he answers in the affirmative, you will proceed to count one, two, three. The word three should be spoken suddenly and in a very loud voice, and at the same instant the palms of the hands should be smitten together. This will instantly awake him. To make magic photographs. Take in the first place an ordinary print, a card picture, for instance, on albumen paper, beneath the negative in the usual way, and when sufficiently printed, let it be carefully washed in the dark room so as to remove all the free nitrate of silver, etc. Now immerse it in the following solution, also in the dark room. Saturated solution bichloride of mercury, corrosive sublimate, one ounce. Hydrochloric acid, one dram. The saturated solution is previously prepared by putting into water more bichloride of mercury than it will dissolve by shaking in about twelve hours. The print will gradually be bleached in this liquid, in the ordinary meaning of the word, that is, it will disappear. But the fact is, the print is still there, its color alone is changed, a double salt having been formed of mercury and silver, which is white, as many of our readers who have been in the habit of intensifying with a mercurial salt are aware. As soon as the print has quite disappeared, the paper is thoroughly washed and dried in the dark room. It is also preserved between folds of orange-colored paper, in order to keep it from the action of light, for the surface is still in some measure sensitive to light. The bleaching of the print, that is, its conversion into a white salt, is effected more quickly by keeping it in motion in the mercurial solution. As we said before, the print has not been bleached in reality. The substance which originally formed it is still there, together with a new substance, a salt of mercury. But the two salts of silver and mercury may be easily brought out and made visible by several solutions, such as sulphide of ammonium, solution of hydrosulfuric acid. In fact, any of the soluble sulphides, ammonia, and hyposulphite of soda. The latter salt is used in preference to the others. Small pieces of blotting paper, therefore, of the same size as the prints, are cut out and steeped in a saturated solution of hyposulphite of soda, and then dried. The magic photographs are packed as before stated, between folds of orange-colored paper. The papers dipped in hyposulphite of soda are the developers, and may be packed between two sheets of common writing paper. The development of the image is effected in the following manner. Place the abumen paper which contains the whitened print on a pane of glass, print side upward. On this lay the dry piece of blotting paper that has been previously dipped in hyposulphite of soda. Moisten the latter thoroughly, then place over it a pane of glass, and upon this a weight, to bring the two pieces of paper into intimate contact. In a very short time the picture will appear in all its original detail, and of a sepia tone. WRITING ON THE ARM The conjurer's explanation was a great lesson in spiritualism. I next asked him to elucidate the trick of writing on the arm. On the occasion of my visit to Mr. Forster, when the raps indicated the second pellet, he required the spirit present to write the initials on his bare arm. Mr. Forrester placed his arm under the table for a moment, then rested it in front of a lamp burning on the table, and quickly rolled up the sleeve of his coat. The skin was without stain or mark. He passed his hand over it once or twice, and the initials of the names I had written on the second pallet 
seemed to grow on the arm in letters of crimson. "'It's a trick I do every night. It goes with the audience like steam,' said the conjurer. "'Very simple. Well, suppose a name. What name would you like?' "'Henry Clay,' I replied. Down went the conjurer's arm under the table. In a few seconds he raised it, and exposed the bare forearm without mark upon it. He doubled up his fist, tightly, so as to bring the muscles of the arm to the surface, and rubbed the skin smartly with his open hand. The letters H.C. soon appeared upon it, in well-defined writing of a deep red color. "'There you have it, gentlemen. That's the blood-red writing. Very simple. All you have to do is take the lucifer match, and write on your arm with the wrong end of it. If you moisten the skin with a little salt water first, all the better. Then wet the palm of the other hand, rub your arm with it, send up the muscles, and the blood-red writing will come out. It will fade away in less than no time. If you look under the table, you will see that I have a little piece of pointed wood. I can move my arm under that, and write the letters without using the other hand. But that's a trick which wants practice. Electrical Psychology The most easy and direct mode to produce electro-psychological communication is to take the individual by the hand, in the same manner as though you were going to shake hands. Press your thumb on the ulnar nerve, which spreads its branches to the ring and little finger, an inch above the knuckle, and in range of the ring finger. Lay the ball of the thumb flat so as to cover the minute branches of this nerve of motion and sensation. When you first take him by the hand, request him to place his eyes upon yours, and to keep them fixed, so that he may see every emotion of your mind expressed in the countenance. Continue this pressure for a half a minute or more. Then request him to close his eyes, and with your fingers gently brush downward several times over the eyelids. Throughout the whole process feel within yourself a fixed determination to close them, so as to express the determination fully in your countenance and manner. Then place your hand on top of his head, and press your thumb firmly on the organ of individuality, bearing partially downward, and with the other thumb still pressing the ulnar nerve, tell him, You cannot open your eyes. Remember that your manner, your expression of countenance, your motions, and your language must all be of the most positive character. If he succeed in opening his eyes, try it once or twice more because impressions, whether physical or mental, continue to deepen by repetition. In case, however, that you cannot close his eyes, nor see any effect produced upon them, you should cease making any further efforts, because you have now fairly tested that his mind and body both stand in a positive relation as it regards the doctrine of impressions. If you succeed in closing the subject's eyes by the above mode, you may then request him to put his hands on his head or in any other position you choose, and tell him, You cannot stir them. In case you succeed, request him to be seated, and tell him, You cannot rise. If you are successful in this, request him to put his hands in motion, and tell him, You cannot stop them. If you succeed, request him to walk the floor, and tell him, You cannot cease walking. And so you may continue to perform experiments involving muscular motion and paralysis of any kind that may occur to your mind, till you can completely control him, in arresting or moving all the voluntary parts of his system. HOW TO MAKE PERSONS AT A DISTANCE THINK OF YOU 
Let it be particularly remembered that faith and concentration of thought are positively needful to accomplish aught in drawing others to you or making them think of you. If you have not the capacity or understanding how to operate an electric telegraph battery, it is no proof that an expert and competent person should fail doing so. Just so in this case, if faith, meditation, or concentration of thought fail you, then you will also fail to operate upon others. First, you must have an yearning for the person you wish to make think of you, and secondly, you must learn to guess at what time of day or night he may be unemployed, passive, so that he may be in a proper state to receive the thought which you dispatch to him. If he should be occupied in any way, so that his nervous forces were needed to complete his task, his human battery or thought would not be in a recipient or passive condition. Therefore your experiment would fail at that moment, or if he were under heavy narcotics, liquors, tobacco, or gluttonous influences, he could not be reached at such moments. Or if he were asleep and you operated to affect a wakeful mind or thought, you would fail again at the moment. To make a person at a distance think of you, whether you are acquainted with him or not, matters not. I again repeat, find out or guess at what moment he is likely to be passive. By this I mean easy and careless. Then with the most fervent prayer, or yearning of your entire heart, mind, soul, and strength, desire he may think of you. And if you wish him to think on any particular topic in relation to you, it is necessary for you to press your hands, when operating on him, on such mental faculties of your head as you wish him to exercise towards you. This demands a meagre knowledge of phrenology. His feeling nature, or propensities, you cannot reach through these operations. But when he once thinks of you, if he does not know you, he imagines such a being as you are, he can easily afterwards be controlled by you, and he will feel disposed to go in the direction where you are, if circumstances permit, and he is his own master, for, remember, circumstances alter cases. I said, you cannot reach his feeling, but only his thinking nature, truly. But after he thinks of you once, his feeling nature, or propensities, may become aroused through his own organization. In conclusion, on this topic, let me say that if you wish the person simply to think of you, one operation may answer. But on the contrary, if you wish him to meet you, or go where you are, all you have to do is to persevere in a lawful and Christian manner to operate, and I assure you, in the course of all natural things, that is, if no accident or very unfavorable circumstances occur, he will make his way towards you, and when he comes within sight or reaching distance of you, it will be easy to manage him. HOW TO MAKE LARGE NOSES SMALL Dr. Sid, an inventive surgeon of Paris, noticed that elderly people, who for a long time have worn eyeglasses supported on the nose by a spring, are apt to have this organ long and thin. This he attributes to the compression which the spring exerts on the arteries by which the nose is nourished. The idea occurred to him that the hint could be made useful. Not long afterward, a young lady of fifteen years consulted him, to see if he could restore to moderate dimensions her nose, which was large, fleshy, and unsightly. The trait he found was hereditary in her family, as her mother and sister were similarly afflicted. This was discouraging, as hereditary peculiarities are particularly obstinate. 
But the doctor determined to try his method. He took exact measurements, and had constructed for her a lunette pince-nez, a spring and pad for compressing the artery, which she wore at night and whenever she could conveniently in daytime. In three weeks a consolatory diminution was evident, and in three months the young lady was quite satisfied with the improvement in her features. Jockey Tricks How to make a horse appear as though he was badly foundered. Take a fine wire and fasten it tight around the fetlock, between the foot and the heel, and smooth the hair over it. In twenty minutes the horse will show lameness. Do not leave it on over nine hours. To make a horse lame, take a single hair from his tail, put it through the eye of a needle, then lift the front leg and press the skin between the outer and middle tendon, or cord, and shove the needle through, cut off the hair each side, and let the foot down. The horse will go lame in twenty minutes. How to make a horse stand by his food and not take it? Grease the front teeth and the roof of the mouth with common beef tallow, and he will not eat until you wash it out. This in conjunction with the above will consummate a complete founder. How to cure a horse from the crib or sucking wind? Saw between the upper teeth to the gums. How to put a young countenance on a horse? Make a small incision in the sunken place over the eye. Insert the point of a goose quill and blow it up. Close the external wound with thread, and it is done. To cover up the heaves. Drench the horse with one-fourth pound of common bird-shot, and he will not heave until they pass through him. To make a horse appear as if he had the glanders, melt four ounces of fresh butter and pour it into his ear. To distinguish between distemper and glanders, the discharge from the nose in glanders will sink in water, in distemper it floats. How to make a true pulling horse balk. Take tincture of catharides one ounce, and corrosive sublimate one dram. Mix, and bathe his shoulder at night. How to nerve a horse that is lame. Make a small incision about halfway from the knee to the joint on the outside of the leg, and at the back part of the shin-bone you will find a small white tendon, or cord. Cut it off and close the external wound with a stitch, and he will walk off on the hardest pavement and not limp a particle. To bore holes in glass. Any hard steel tool will cut glass with great facility when kept freely wet with camphor dissolved in turpentine. A drill bow may be used, or even the hand alone. A whole board may be readily enlarged by a round file. The ragged edges of glass vessels may also be thus easily smoothed by a flat file. Flat window glass can readily be sawed by a watch spring saw by aid of this solution. In short, the most brittle glass can be wrought almost as easily as brass by the use of cutting tools kept constantly moist with camphorized oil of turpentine. To etch upon glass. Procure several thick, clear pieces of crown glass, and immerse them in melted wax, so that each may receive a complete coating, or pour over them a solution of wax in benzene. When perfectly cold, draw on them with a fine steel point, flowers, trees, houses, portraits, etc. Whatever parts of the drawing are intended to be corroded with the acid, should be perfectly free from the least particle of wax. When all these drawings are finished, the pieces of glass must be immersed one by one 
in a square wooden box or receiver, where they are to be submitted to the action of hydrofluoric acid gas, made by acting on powdered floor spar by concentrated sulfuric acid. End of Fine Arts and Sciences Recording by Bill Borst